Well, good morning, everyone. Well, I can honestly say that that was not expected a couple minutes ago, and so I want to say thank you to those for those kind words and that affirmation. I appreciate that. It's it's been five years, and uh, I can honestly say I have loved it. I lo- currently love it. I can't picture myself, our family, being anywhere else. And so, thank you for for allowing us to allowing me us to serve and to be a part of this church family. It's a privilege. I could have done without the whole pandemic thing, but hey, that's a part of the story, and that's a part of your story and my story, and that's a part of our introduction, actually, this morning, as we get into our teaching time. Uh, Because, you know what, I need to start uh, with an apology to those folks who are watching us at home right now, uh, who watched our service last week online, because I did something last Sunday that I know that I shouldn't have done. You know, back when we were holding our, our services, not in person, but we were doing them online, I used to record the message in my office using my cell phone uh, as the camera. And back then, there was one particular shirt that I used to wear that I started getting feedback on, understanding that, hey, it didn't look good on the recording. Josh, you need to stop wearing that shirt, okay? Well, last Sunday, as I was looking for something to wear, I saw that shirt and I said, hmm, I know it didn't look back good on the camera back then, but I'm going to wear it anyways. It's probably different now, right? But things weren't different. Let's show the picture here, okay? Uh, it looks actually not terrible right here, but well, that does. I, I'm pixelated, people, okay? Like I'm like a floating head on top of a, like a, a gray blob. And uh, it looks even wor- looked even worse when you were watching the live stream in the moment because YouTube doesn't actually give you a full quality when you, at first, it takes a bit. It takes about 24 hours for you to get this awesome quality. And Sarah... <laughs> Sarah has a knack for picking pictures of me on the, uh, that are very flattering, so <laughs> thank you to Sarah. I am your boss. Okay, anyways. Uh, but some of you were gracious enough. Some of you were gracious enough to email me right after the service and say, Josh, great message, but it was a little distracting. Uh, your body was like floating around there. We weren't sure what was going on. Like it was a little hard to pay attention. Um, and you know what? I totally knew better. As soon as I saw the email, first email in my inbox, I was like, ah, oh, I knew better. But for some reason, I hope that things might be different this time. You know, isn't that kind of normal for us? That, you know, we often find ourselves doing the same thing over and over and over again, but hoping for a different result. Have we, 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 we know that we do this. When what we really need to do is we need to try something different. And you know what, this is sort of what this series has been all about that we've been working through, this peaceful practice series has been all about, is we were trying to explore different ways that we can engage our relationships, especially those relationships where conflict or divisive differences might be present. And the thing is that many of us have some pretty default responses to these circumstances, to conflict or divisive differences. You know, a family member shares his perspective on something, and the first thing we do is we tell them why they're wrong and what the right answer is, and the right answer is usually our answer, right? Or a coworker tells us they don't agree with our idea, and we get defensive, and we start to lash out, we push back. Or we overhear somebody here at church maybe sharing something and and we don't necessarily agree with where they're landing on that particular issue and so mentally we start to question their faith. But if you're like me, there's also these moments where we realize that these same old responses aren't getting us to the good places that we want to get to. And that if we continue doing these same things over and over again, then we shouldn't be surprised that we keep getting the same results, that we keep finding ourselves in places of conflict and division. And so we needed to try a different approach. 
Well, so far in this series, we've talked a whole lot about listening, and we've talked about exploring the thoughts of somebody else. We've talked about curiosity. But of course, in any conversation that we have with people, there's opportunity for us to share our own thoughts and our beliefs. And so this morning, we're going to explore how we can do this as we examine the role that judgment plays in our relationships. And the big idea that we're exploring this morning is that when we learn to suspend our judgment, we are creating room to share our perspective. When we learn to suspend our judgment, we are creating room to share our perspective. Now, a part of any good story is when we learn about a character's origin, their origin story. You know, the events that shaped who we know them to be. For Spider-Man, we talk about how he was raised by his aunt and his uncle in that moment he gets bit by the spider. In Star Wars, we learn about the experience of Anakin Skywalker that, that, uh, before he becomes Darth Vader. And for Anne, we learn about her when she shows up at Anna Green Gables. This might be the only time you hear about Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, Anna Green Gables, and Spider-Man, the same thing. It's a little weird. I'm leaning into it. But all of these, these characters have background stories, have origin stories that help us understand how they became the person that we know them to be or the character that we know them to be. You know, one of the places that Christians sometimes go to for the origin story of humanity is the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. And when we do, we need to understand that what this story is ultimately about is how we understand ourselves as relational beings with humanity being created to have this intimate connection with God and have this wonderful connection to one another, to other other human beings. Now, unfortunately, this this does not last because this story, our origin story, includes humanity reaching out to assume things that we were never designed to be able to handle. And so in terms of our conversation today, we, we see in the story that we are not equipped to handle judging others. You know, the perfection described in the Garden of Eden is totally based on humanity's dependence on God for a number of things, including the fact that, that God is the rightful judge of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. But in this origin story of humanity, it includes a, a scene where there is a test about whether or not humanity would trust God with this responsibility or not. And so there in the garden is this tree that represents the wisdom to decide between what is good and what is evil. A wisdom that only God has the perspective to be able to handle and to, and to administer properly. And this is why that, that tree was off limits to Adam and Eve. But our ancestors were curious and they couldn't resist the urge to judge. I mean, how hard can it really be, right? Scripture tells us that, that, this, uh, that this ability to judge was enticing. Genesis 3, chapter 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. I mean, their first observation, their observation here is, hey, that looks good, I bet you we could eat from it. But to tell you the truth, I think that's a little bit more of an excuse than, you know, the reason why they pursued this. Because in this garden that God created, there were tons of other things that they could have eaten. Anything. All these choices. You can choose from all of these things, and yet there's something about this tree. And I think that's the reason why they were enticed by it is that there's the promise to become the ultimate judge between good and evil. And that plays into the human ego. You know, Eve, she hungers for the power that comes with the ability to know. And she is captured by its beauty. You know, having the correct judgment can make us look very good in front of other people, can't it? It's, it's enticing. 
See, she wanted to be wise and thought that this fruit would give them powers to judge for themselves. Now, does any of this sound familiar to us and to our own story? It should. You know, in the story, we have humans deciding to assume the role of God. And this is something that we have been tempted to do ever since. You know, just like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves tempted to try our hand at judging others. And we hear voices like that of the serpent telling us, you can do this. It's not that hard. You know, it will make your lives better if you do it. And so we determine, in our, to our, we determine ourselves that we are wise enough to handle the responsibility to determine what is right and what is wrong for the people in our lives, don't we? But this story here is a cautionary tale. Because like Adam and Eve, we might just find that we discover something that we don't actually want. And the authors of Scripture call this death. That's relational separation from God and from each other. It is described in terms of death. And I'm sure we can each tell a story that backs this up from our own lives. You know, there's somebody in our lives who seems to always have an opinion about what we should and shouldn't do. And the way that they, they bring that into our lives just feels like, you know, they are communicating that they know better and they need to tell us. And, and, and even if their opinions aren't necessarily wrong, we begin to resent them, don't we? And a rift forms and grows between us and them. And the life that that relationship once had or had the potential to have slowly slips away. And we need, and just as we think about who might be doing this to us, we need to just as readily realize that we might be doing this to other people. That our propensity to judge others might be causing a rift that is leading not to life, but to death in that relationship. And so we need a better way. Well, this origin story ends with relational separation. But it also ends with a promise that God would do something dramatic to heal the wounds that judgment causes. And this is where Jesus comes in. You know, Jesus' Jesus's teachings point us in a better way, in a better direction, and his life makes this new way, this new direction possible. See, it's through Jesus that we are offered a way to return to full community, uh, communion, full re, uh, relationship with God, and a better way to relate to the people that we are in relationship with on a daily basis. And one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that our ability to connect with others is, in fact, disrupted by patterns of judgment. And so for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to be based off of a passage that, from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 37. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not fall both, both fall into a pit? The student is not above their teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will become like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know, as we look to Jesus, we, we hear Jesus uh, repeatedly inviting us into a relationship where we follow him into loving God and loving others more fully. And indeed, this focus on loving God and loving others will lead us towards having healthier relationships with other people. And so with this in mind, we, pay very, we very much pay attention to what else Jesus might have to say about our relationships, which includes this passage on judgment. And in this passage, we see Jesus, in a sense, repeating that command from the Garden of Eden to avoid the way of judgment. You know, to avoid believing that we have the right and the responsibility to properly wield that knowledge of good and evil with absolute accuracy. See, what we need to do is we need to learn to, to suspend our propensity to think or pronounce judgment over others because we know that when we are judgmental, our ability to be in relationship with others is limited. Now, as we follow Jesus' ministry, we will notice that Jesus uh, criticizes the religious leaders of his day. And he criticizes them for a number of things, but one of, the, one of them is how they have this habit of judging other people. Now, I think for a lot of us, our tendency as we read through Jesus' interactions with people in the Gospels is we, we like to identify with the, the disciples. And, but I, I, I'm finding myself realizing that there might be times as I read through the Gospels where I have more things in common with the Pharisees, you know, the people that Jesus are critical of, and the religious leaders than I'd like to admit. And I think we probably all do. We need to be paying attention to what Jesus says here. I mean, we have a tendency to point out the ways that other people are wrong and we are right. And in a church setting, what we might do is we might, find, we might identify that our theology is the right interpretation of what the Bible says. Earlier this week, Michelle sent me a graphic that looks sort of like this. Jesus, why am I the only one here in heaven with you? Jesus answers, everybody else's theology was slightly off. <laughs> it's funny, kind of cringy, because, uh, uh, you know, often we, find, we believe that our judgments, our set of beliefs, our theology are accurate, or at least more accurate than others, maybe even divinely established. We might not use that terminology, but we find ourselves thinking, this was given to us by God, therefore we are right. But as we think about our attitudes, we need to realize that our practice of judgment can have more to do with supporting what we are comfortable with and reinforcing our already established ideologies. And most of that happens without even thinking about it. You know, it all starts with an observation. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world. It starts with an observation about something going on in our world or something going on in our circumstances. And because there's a lot to take in, we can't focus on this much of it. And so we zone in on a smaller segment. And then within that limited focus, we start to form meaning. What does, we start to ask ourselves, what does this mean? And, and it leads us to form assumptions and draw conclusions and even systems of belief. Not based on all of this, but based on this. And, and eventually what that does is it not does, it, it, that then informs how we go about observing all of this later. It becomes a cycle. Again, not based on being able to see it all, but being able to only see a small section of it. And all of this happens very quickly and happens unconsciously. But the result is that when we encounter somebody who, who has looked at that same set of circumstances, that same event differently, or they've walked through that process of determining meaning and, and coming up with assumptions and beliefs, when we, when we come into contact with somebody who's walked through that pro process differently than we do, 
we might find ourselves feeling defensive, maybe creating a protective shell around the conclusions and beliefs that we've come to. Or maybe we find ourselves feeling threatened, and so we go out on the attack. And not so much because we need to prove that they're wrong for their own sake, because we want to make sure that they understand what is true, but more because we feel threatened. You know, we've based ourselves, our understanding, on our assumption that we are right. And if we aren't right, it might feel like our world's starting to crumble. And so we go on the attack just to try to protect ourselves. But if this is our default, our relationships are going to struggle, aren't they? In our email newsletter this week, we once again included a link to a sermon feedback form that I'd love it if you take some time to fill out today or tomorrow. Uh, just it, it, the reason behind this is that uh, I want to hear how this series is connecting with you or maybe not connecting with you. I'd love to hear your feedback on how what, everything we've talked about over the last few weeks is sitting with you right now. And the reason why I'm asking this is because as a speaker, I know that there's often a difference between what I intend to communicate and what folks actually hear. That's a real thing. In fact, what, I, uh, what I'm learning and what I find completely fascinating is that it's the responsibility of the listener, that's you, to determine meaning, not as much for me as the speaker. And so getting feedback is important for me as a speaker to help me bridge that gap between what you might be hearing and, and what I'm intending to be said. So I can try to like, you know, short, make it so we're at least getting closer to being on the same page because there's a difference that happens. You know, as we think about our relationships where conflict and divisive differences might be present, we need to be aware of this dynamic. We need to be aware that there's a gap often between what we intend to say and what is actually heard. And that regardless of what we hope to communicate, meaning in any exchange comes from what is heard. It comes at the, is formed by the listener. And when we are judgmental and we end up being defensive or maybe go out on the attack, what we are inadvertently doing is we are getting in the way of what we are hoping will be actually heard and communicated. And so we need to be aware of this dynamic. And this kind of defensive judgment is actually the kind of behavior that I think Jesus is referring to as he cautions his followers about noticing the speck in their, in their neighbor's eye without first looking for the log in their own. And so all of this is to say is that having an honest understanding of ourselves can really transform our judgment. Now, staying clear of judgment is hard, okay? And it's confusing. And we might ask, be fairly ask the question, can we actually do that? And as followers of Jesus, should we actually suspend our judgment? And the answer to that is no. Because a key part of who we are as followers of Jesus is sharing, you know, the way of Jesus with others with conviction. You know, we believe that Jesus uh, has something that other people could really benefit from. That some people, that we have something that other people would need. But the question really is, how do we practice this? How do we live out this conviction in our relationships. See, judgment has to be coupled with a sense of humility. You know, recognizing that, that we don't know everything about everything. In fact, there are things, tons of things that we don't know. There's tons of things we don't understand. There's tons of things that we have never experienced, but somebody else might have. And so when Jesus talks about taking that log out of our own eyes, he's asking us to recognize this. See, to be engaged in healthy dialogue with others means that we need to be willing to, to recognize in ourselves that there might be things that just aren't healthy. 
that we might need to be realized that there are things that we don't know, things that need to be examined, experiences that we haven't had yet. There's gaps in our understanding that we could really benefit from other people speaking into our lives to kind of show us, you know, what is it that we don't understand? And so to take the log out of our own eye means that we slow down this process from, uh, of going from observation to belief by taking at least a moment and time to pause to understand ourselves and where we're coming from in this process. And the result can be that when we actually get to having a conversation with somebody where there's the potential for conflict or there's a potential for a difference of opinion, that we can go beyond jumping uh, to believe that something's either right or wrong Rather, what we can do is we can own our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own beliefs, our own opinions, that these are ours. And we can speak from the heart and contribute our thinking and our experiences to, into that dialogue in a way that isn't about asserting our position as the only possible position, the only possible way forward. Now, one of the things that can be really helpful for us as we, we, we seek to do this is a rather simple shift in language. You know, how often, how often do we engage hard conversations with people by, by using you language? You know, pointing the finger and saying, you know, how could you come to that conclusion? You know, when we use you language, it sounds, it sounds critical. It sounds like an interrogation. People get defensive very naturally when, you, when we use you language. Instead, a more productive re- response would be to start to use I statements which help us reflect where it is that we are coming from, what, what is it that we are bringing with us into a particular conversation. Again, often we want to say things like, you make me so angry, but how might a conversation go differently if we were to instead own it and say, I feel angry because, or I am worried about this because, or I am concerned about this because. I mean, an I statement can take a hard conversation, it's still going to be a hard conversation, but it can help us have a hard conversation without putting the blame on somebody else and make space for ex- our experience and our perspective to be shared. And it's always much better received than when we choose to assert ourselves and point a finger. Now, so much of what we have talked about in this series and even what we've talked about this morning, I think can be applied regardless of whether we are somebody who's particularly religious or not. In fact, I want to recognize that for some of us here this morning, we aren't sure what we think about church. We aren't sure what we think about God. We aren't sure what we think about Christians. And I get that. Sometimes I'm not sure either. And I've worked here for five years. Okay, I get that. And I think that if that describes you, if that describes us this morning, um, I think there's stuff in what we've talked about here that you could take home with you and it would make your relationships better just by taking you know, some of the key points that we've talked about this morning with you. But there's something more to what Jesus is talking about than just good advice that I think invites us to go deeper. See, in what Jesus says about judgment uh, in our passage this morning, Jesus talks about uh, good and bad fruit. And what he does is he's comparing two different types of trees. He's comparing people to trees. And he's, in doing, making this comparison, he is highlighting the, need of making, uh, highlighting the need for us to make inward change if we want outward results. You know, according to Jesus, we can't just force ourselves to, to say the right things. We can try, and we might even succeed for a little bit, but at the, at the, in the end, what's going on inside of us in our hearts will eventually find its way out. And so if we want our speaking, if we want our relationships to be effective, we want it to be authentic, we need to spend considerable time preparing our hearts and our minds for these healthy conversations. 
And the reality is that if we have hatred and venom in us, if we have bitterness inside of us, eventually that's going to find its way out. We shouldn't be surprised when it finds its way out in our interactions with other folks. But if we're centered in love, we're going to produce an abundance of good things. And this is ultimately where Jesus comes in. Because when the love of Jesus is a growing part of our lives, we will be better able to communicate in constructive ways. In fact, following Jesus is ultimately about change. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, we are opting into a journey where God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to radically change who we are at the deepest levels of who we are if we let him. He wants to take our anger. He wants to take our bitterness and our resentment and our judgment. He wants to take all those things that we know is to- are toxic to our relationships, and he wants to get rid of that and instead replace it with things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Things that we know when they are present make our relationships better. But we have to be willing to do the work and to go to God and say, God, I want to be better. Please help me be better. And then when we say something like that, we are including, you know, the reality that we want our unhealthy patterns of judgment to be removed. To disappear from how we communicate ourselves to others in these tense conversations that we find ourselves in. As we close this morning, I want to leave us with a prayer that comes from Psalm chapter 19 that I'm going to invite you to to consider using every day this week when you wake up. God, May the words of my mouth, the things that I'm going to say to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers, to the random person I bump into at the grocery store, and the meditation of my heart, you know, those thoughts that often go unsaid, those attitudes, the, the judgments, the, uh, the bias, <laughs> the discrimination that just kind of sits there. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, God, be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, for the opportunity to sit with other followers of Jesus, Lord, and to, and to be present. and to just to, uh, God, we just know that you are here with us. Whether or not we're having a, a good day or a bad day, we are grateful that we get to be in community. And God, it is my hope and my prayer that we have ministered to each other today. God, this week we're going to have opportunities to share our thoughts, our feelings about a whole variety of things. And some of those conversations are going to be easy ones, and some of them are going to be tense and have the possibility of conflict in them. Lord Jesus, would you help us when we find ourselves in those moments this week? Lord, would you remind us of this prayer, and may it be so every day. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Lord Jesus, would you do a work in us, transforming us from the inside out. May we we have our bitterness, our hatred, our resentment, our judgment replaced with all the good things that come from your spirit. Lord, may we be known by your love.